And this morning with the, uh, the sermon, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. At first, I want you to turn to 3 John. I'm not going to have you stand for the reading at the beginning simply because I'm going to read it through in, in chunks as we uh, examine each of the characters who are uh, before us in the book. So first thing to lead us into these characters that I'm talking about is you'll see a slide up here, or one slide for the, for the morning. Um, kind of an old slide, right? Resolution not so good and whatnot, but it's, it's an older one. And, and some of you may rep, uh, real, uh, recognize down here, and if you can't see, it's Sesame Street, so old, old show. And in this show, there was a little clip where they would say, anybody know the jingle? There it is down there. Somebody say, three of these kids belong together. One of them's doing their own thing. You know, and you can see, okay, yeah, I think you get it. The one who's upside down is, is probably the one who's doing their own thing. Well, this morning in 3 John, we're going to see three who are doing the right thing, who belong together, but then we're going to see one who's doing his own thing, the, um, the one that we don't want to be like. So as we look at 3 John, we want to realize the big idea, the big idea in 3 John is simply this. The church has characters not to imitate who are going to go and do their own thing, who follow themselves. But then there are also ones that we should imitate who love with truth because they're following Christ. And uh, as we go through the passage, I'm going to read kind of a fourth as a, at a time. We're going to start here at the beginning. We're calling this a genuine imitation because we're going to see, you know, I realize that's an that's a oxymoron, genuine imitation, right? But the ones we want to follow have a genuineness to them as they follow Christ that we do want to imitate. So at the beginning... We hear from John, and he says this. John writes, God speaks. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So our first character we see is the one speaking, Elder John, Big John, 6'6 six, six and 245. No, not that John. Um, 60s song, okay, yeah, not, that didn't connect too well. So I'll, I'll move from the genre of Sesame Street and old, old 60s songs, and we'll, we'll hit you with some different genres as we go. But Elder John, Big John, is the one writing here. And the point about John is that he cares for the physical and the spiritual needs of his people. Of his people. For him, leadership is about, it starts with the people, not just an agenda for the church. So he is personal as he begins. He prays for the physical needs of Gaius, who we're going to hear about briefly. He cares about the physical needs. Now, what's interesting in that passage where he says, all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. Some point to that little passage there as 
hey, there's justification for the health and wealth gospel. You know, all should be well with you. All should be well with you physically. And if it's not, maybe you're just lacking in prayer. Okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is not justification for the health and wealth gospel. Granted, there is a tension, and we are to pray for the physical needs, and you hear us do that up here, even in the pastoral prayer. There is a reason to pray for that, but there's the tension that we don't want to avoid what you might think of as um, Donna, Donna was a nurse for years, and go to, she would go to the hospital, and there would be a shift change. And they would just reel off, okay, in 101, you got John with a, a broken leg, and Sue's in 102 with a herniated disc, and 103, they need their meds at this time, blah, 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 blah. And our prayer could end up sounding like just a shift change there. That's not what we're about. But yet we realize, as the Puritan Richard Sibbs said, when there is an uh, uh, answer for physical needs and, and comfort and curing in physical prayers, it sweetens our passage into heaven. It sweetens our passage into heaven because we're saying, Lord, you have blessed me by answering this prayer. Thank you, Lord. It's coming from you. But with that tension, we also realize that our physical bodies, no matter how healthy we are with exercise, with eating, they are passing away. The expression like swabbing the deck of the Titanic, the ship is going down. Hanging uh, pictures on a burning building, our bodies are going away. And so the most important concern for John comes next, that it goes well with your soul. And he goes on and he says, speaks of walking in the truth, walking in the truth. And for us as a family, when our, when our daughter was born, Donna's grandmother gave a little mug engraved with this verse here. While that child was an infant, so that she would see it years later and be reminded, my grandmother wants me walking in the truth. So grandparents, parents love to know that their children are walking in the truth. Brothers and sisters, your, your shepherds, your under-shepherds at Redeemer love to know that you are walking in the truth, and it gives great joy. It gives great joy. So John, Elder John, loved this church. He loved his church, and he wants truth for them. The, the world often sees love and truth kind of in opposition to each other. You, you can't really have both of those. So let, let's consider that for a minute. Application for you. How are you with truth and love? Are you one who is good at telling the truth? I have the gift of discernment, and I can see I need to correct you on this and correct you on this. Fix this, and quite good at revealing others' faults. But sometimes that discernment may be a little harsh and could be a bit of destroyment. Are we really speaking the truth in love? Or maybe, maybe you're so vulnerable yourself and authentic yourself, which is a good thing, but maybe you 
confess your feelings, your faults, all these things to somebody, and it's essentially like you're vomiting all over them. What do I mean? You just got confession and you feel better, but you just left them with vomit because they weren't ready for it. You didn't think of them in their context and how they could handle what you gave them. So there's a, there's a, a, a balance there to speaking the truth in love. Now, I'm not saying not to say anything, right? Because the flip side of that is to say, are, are we one who's so loving that we're never going to say anything's wrong? I just want you to be happy. That's the most important thing. Do whatever and be happy, right? We know that's not correct either. As G.K. Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue of the man with no convictions. So we're not just saying it's, it's all love, no truth. They go together. We wouldn't say, or we might say, that they're in balance. They're in balance, but J.I. Packer says, balance is a horrible, self-conscious word. <laughs> and what he's getting at is he's saying, we don't want truth and balance where it's 50-50 on the seesaw. Well, I'll give a little bit on truth. I'll give a little bit on love. No, the point is there's a tension, but it's really 100% truth, 100% love. That's what we're being called to. Not easy, not easy, okay? But that's what John the Elder captures. He wants for us. He loves with truth. So now we move to our second character, Gaius. Follow along with me in verse 5. In verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So Gaius, most common name in the Roman Empire, uh, he's commended for his love. All right, now, what we want to do is condense down this, this morning just showing love through hospitality, okay? Hospitality. And there, there is an outline in your bulletin uh, if you want to follow along there. I forgot to mention that. But so our key way, takeaway to show love this morning is through hospitality. Example of that where, where we can kind of feel that, if you will. Uh, this past week in our life group had an icebreaker question. And the reason behind the question was, um, unfortunately for my job, I have to travel a good bit. And the, and the bad side of that is for sure being away from family. But it's, it's traveling around the U.S., you get to see different cultures and, and just how different things are in Texas, from New England, from Portland. all. And, and so I threw out to the group, wherever you're from, uh, what, what do you think of in your childhood? What, what stood out to you? Thinking of Teve from New Orleans was going to talk about jambalaya, and Dan from Rochester about just how cold and all that it was all the time. But so many, they talked some about that, but so many of them it boiled down to not so much where they're from, but their home, literally their home, their family, because of the hospitality that they felt there, the love, the security at home, that keyword hospitality. Now, a lot of us, 
right? We might not have come from the most warm, secure home. So we might not have had that taste. But we often found it elsewhere. There may have been somebody else who took us in, who showed us love, who showed us, you know, that they still cared about us with all our problems and everything. So we've tasted that hospitality that Gaius was showing here. In challenge for us, as we are called to show hospitality, hospitality to others, hospitality can be inconvenient. It can be clumsy. It can mess with our schedules. It's more dishes to serve, more dirt to clean up, more dents in our schedule. Dishes, dents, dirt. But is it a cost or is it an investment? We are investing in others that could have an effect years down the road by showing hospitality. And in verse 7, when we look at this, Gaius showed hospitality in a special way. He did it for the sake of the name. He did it for Christ. And he did it for those who were sharing the gospel. So effectively, missionaries at that time who would go out, he showed them hospitality. So brothers and sisters, for us, especially in this age of technology, we can do this. We can show hospitality to our missionaries by writing them, praying for them, encouraging them. If you want to do that in any way, please, please see me afterwards. We will plug you in to do that, to reach out to the missionaries we support. Jeremiah 29 that Adam read earlier talks about the welfare of the city. We, brothers and sisters, are to call to show hospitality to those around us, especially the missionaries we uh, send out. We care about their welfare. So it says that they, they were called by the name. Just to give you some names of those who are going out from uh, us that we seek to support because they're called for the name. For, for campus outreach, for Hunter and Emily, who disciple these wonderful young folks here at a critical time in their life, they are making disciples. We want to pray for them. Sorry, so Hunter and Emily. And Wendy, on, who's doing the same kind of thing, but internationally, we want to pray for her as well as we prayed in the pastoral prayer. Reach out to them, encourage them, tell them you appreciate what they're doing. Internationally, Jorge Aleman in Mexico, establishing churches there. Ambrose and Becky Winfrey, who have been here before, months back, planting churches, involved in a seminary in Colombia, uh, in, in South America. Craig and Judy Webb and Corey and Lori Schweppler, members here for years, and now they're on the field, spreading the gospel, being faithful to what God has called them in their lives. And then regionally, within the U.S., Tyler Dirks, right over at East Charlotte, impacting this area by planting a church. Pray for him. Andrew Holbrook, um, who was here and visited our missions team uh, weeks back in Connecticut, uh, working with a church, planting a church there in what he described as, a, as a, a dry area, not many Christians, a hard area, and he craved the encouragement. He was humble enough to say, encouragement means so much to them. 
So you're, and, and then even your giving, your giving to Redeemer, being faithful in tithes and offerings, helps us to support folks like that. And you do this, you do this because you're a part of the church, okay? Why do I say that? The word church in the Gospel of John, not there. First John, not there. Second John, not there. Third John, three times John emphasizes here in this passage the church. So we don't want to miss that. The church, literally in the Greek, ecclesia, called out ones, a holy assembly. We could say, yes, a holy huddle. We usually make fun of that term. But yes, the church is a holy huddle that gathers for worship, corporate worship, to praise God, to be impacted by God, so that we go out. A huddle in sports, they don't just stay there. The football huddle, the basketball huddle, they don't stay there. They go out. So we do. We break the huddle and we go. We're called to go because that's what the church is called to do. So it is, the church, an organization that Peter calls a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Brothers and sisters, as a part of the church, you're, you're, you're special. God has called you in that way. An organization, the church, that produces 100,000 martyrs per year around the world. People willing to die in order to be identified with the name. The church, a simple group here in Indian Trail, meeting here this morning where the powerful can become the predictable if we let it. John won't, and we should not. The church is meant to have a radical effect on your life and my life. And it sounds simple, but one of the ways this morning is he's, is he's saying truth, showing love, Hospitality. Hospitality. If we do that in a radical way, we are making a difference. So, we've got two characters now, Elder John, Gaius. Pretty healthy-looking church, right? Good doctrine, good morals, all good. We've got some of that at Redeemer, okay? So, if you're a visitor here this morning... You might be thinking, ah, okay, maybe, just maybe, we found the perfect church. Okay, and so if you think that this morning, invites you to raise your hand, we'll have the deacons take you out for your own good immediately. Okay, you have not found the perfect church, easily proven, because I'm in it. I make it, therefore, not perfect, by far. No, the point is, we realize there's not a perfect church, and part of the reason is we can have this. This could crop up. We need to watch out for it. Verse 9, let's find out the problem here in the church. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. That's uh, 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 John, the, uh, one of the sons of thunder. He's going to personally confront the guy, so it could be significant. 
And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So Diotrephes, literally the name means Zeus reared. Zeus reared. So a name for noble and ancient families. So he's special. He feels like he's special. He, one of his things, is that he rejects authority. He doesn't want someone, anyone, telling him what to do, when to do, how to do it. I am special. And it's one of the reasons, if you think about it, when somebody joins the church, we ask them five questions. And one of those questions asks about, will you submit to the authorities of the church? There is a lot in that. If we're not willing to submit to leaders, we're often not willing to submit to Christ and his word. It's not saying that the leaders of this church are perfect by any means, but this is a structure that God has put together biblically around leaders. And we are all called to submit to each other in love and to leaders. And it's one of the values of joining a local church. Absolutely true that you as a believer are part of the church universal. Amen to that. Some would say, well, I don't need to join a local church. The local church is where there's the accountability, the saying, I'm all in. I want to use my gifts for this local body, and I'm willing to submit to the leaders that a biblical model has put in place. I am willing to do that. Spiritual health for anyone, it could be argued, involves a willingness to submit to leadership. We know, in many of our past, that can be hard for one reason or another. We're going by what Scripture says there as far as submitting to leaders, and that's what John is calling out here. Growth in holiness, being with others, submitting, encouraging each other is critical. Face would not do that. He rejects authority. Goes further, he slanders that term there about wicked nonsense, talking wicked nonsense, slander, likely over power. What do we mean there? You ever been in a room and maybe you're kind of reading something, you're zoned in, and then somebody else in the room says, you hear that fan clicking up there, or it's off kilter, whatever? No, I didn't hear it, but now I do. Now I'm stuck. Thanks for telling me. I can't pay attention to what I'm reading now because you did that. Slander and gossip. Gossip is kind of level one. Somebody mentions something to you about somebody. They should have gone directly to them. I got a little pebble in my shoe. Man, when I hear, see that person, now I'm thinking about it. That little pebble in the shoe, the level one gossip. Okay, it could be, you know, uh, you hear uh, Pastor Adam has now said that to join Redeemer, you have to be part of the UT Vol fan club. It's a new reg- uh, restriction here. Did you realize he's passing that around? A little bit of gossip there. In fact, it's, it's actually Clemson. It's not UT Vol. Don't worry. Adam didn't do that. It's, it's Clemson. You're gonna be, no. So level one is the gossip. Just, okay, you got that pebble in my shoe. Slander is worse. Slander is taking it to a second degree 
a cancer, wicked nonsense. Now you got that big rock in your shoe. Whenever you're seeing that person, thinking about them, now you're messed up because of what somebody else said because they didn't deal with it directly and they poisoned you. Slander can destroy. And we're seeing that effect in this church. We don't want that here. It can show up anywhere. We're not saying Redeemer's perfect. If we see that kind of thing, we want to address it for the good of the body. What, does, what else does he do? Third thing he does is he treats other leaders as rivals. Rather than as partners, hey, we're in this together, he sees them as rivals. One of the reasons we pray for other pastors, other churches, we're together, we're not an island, we want the best for them, we are on the same team. As a visitor, even at Redeemer, we're not saying, hey, we just want you on our rolls. We want you in the church where you will be most effective for the sake of the kingdom. As you minister to the others and that church ministers to you, if it's Redeemer, great. If it's somewhere else, we want you where God wants you. We're not rivals. Finally, he drives others away. Rather than being one who gathers, grounds, grows, and goes and, 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 and is on the same team with them, he repels and runs off. He doesn't want them. When they don't fit in his clique, his group, the way he thinks or he wants things to be. In summary, he cares about his name more than the name of Christ. He cares about his name more than the name of Christ. Simple application for the youth would say this with this one. Don't tear each other down. Don't drive others away. What do I mean there? Okay, it doesn't matter what age we are. We're tempted to tear others down to build ourselves up, right? But we realize, especially at the age of our youth, an age when you're insecure a bit, and how do you find security? in this little group where we're going to talk bad about so-and-so, the way they look, the way they dress, the way they walk, the way they talk, whatever, because if you can tear them down, you build yourself up. Ooh, I fit in the group a little bit more. The call of the gospel is to swim against the current. That's easy. You can be in your group and tear everybody down. That's easy. And you sort of fit in until they do it to you. The call of the gospel is no. You are secure in Christ. Swim upstream. Be different. Don't tear that other person down. Build them up. So the root of it, the root of it for Diotrephes, the root of it for us, me first, me, myself, and I. And you look around. Who does that? We can all do that. We can all be about ourselves. We can all be about building ourselves up. You know, in this, in this age of technology and social media, right, the uh, social media isn't the root of that, but it sure helps to exacerbate it. All the selfies, who's liking them, how many friends do I have on Snapchat, are they accepting my friend, or da 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 It can feed the narcissism, okay? It's not the root, but it can feed it. We need to use it in the right way. Interesting thing to drive home the point about the, uh, the me, myself, and I. 
There was a study uh, years back with high school students. 829,000 high school students were surveyed. How well do you get along with people? 829,000 said they do it above average. Okay? Get it? Don't have to be a, add a math major here. They all put above average. Who's the average? Okay, I kind of highly rated there. One in four rated themselves in the top 1%. That doesn't quite work for the math either. Okay? But the point is, they're doing it. We tend to do it too. We probably think a bit more highly of ourselves than we should. We need some humility there. So, we have with this character, one who clearly shows us that the church can have major problems, but we're called to show love for each and a commitment to truth. So we finish with the last character, the one who shows us to love in truth, manifesting itself in good works. Let's listen to what we have here. Our last guy, Demetrius, verse 11 Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Imitation. Okay, it's the only, it's the only imperative in the passage. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So we got to ask the question, is imitation good or bad? It depends, right? It depends. Sometimes it can be good. Years back, one of our sons, not named to protect the guilty, decided, I want a pair of D-Roses for Derrick Rose, basketball shoes. Man, I'm going to be styling. I'm going to be playing great in those. First game he had those on, we were watching him. That boy looks like he's in quicksand. He is moving so slow. What, what is going on? We looked at the shoes after the game. He said, I, I need a size 8, and I need these D-Roses. They're like big bird shoes. I mean, they're like flopping, and they're so big because he needed to have D-Roses, and they need to be big, size 8 because he was going to be big. He was not ready for that imitation. Three years later, they still didn't fit him. So... We all, we, you know, we all imitate somebody, the way we're dressing, the way we look. We're, we're probably imitating somebody somewhere, okay? So we got we to gotta be humble and say that. But we're called to imitate the good, not the wicked, not the world. There are other parents we've imitated because we like the way they love and discipline and care for their children. Other friends who do this or that well. Other leaders because of the way they lead. There are good things to imitate, and we're called to that here. We're called to imitate with, uh, with Demetrius, okay? What does he do that's worthy of imitation? Simply put, he does good. He does good. He's rooted in Christ. He's, the tree is growing through sanctification, and he's producing fruit. He bears fruit. We are called to do as much good as we can. Do as much good as we can. Often we tend to step back and think, well, good works. I'm not saved by good works, so I'm not really going to worry about it. No, 
We're created in Christ for good works. We're called to do good works. That is what Demetrius was doing. Secondly, he had a good reputation. His name, because of being above reproach, he had a good name. And then finally, he conforms to the truth. He conforms to the truth. And you can be loving and truthful together. We see that with him. So, our application, very similar to what we talked about in the men's class the last couple weeks, is simply this. To do good. This was the one imperative in the passage. What can you do good this week? And goodness involves others. Involves others. What can you plan to do that would bless others? Could be a sibling, could be a spouse, could be somebody at work, could be a neighbor. We're called as Christians to be different, to do something good there. That's going to be your takeaway, okay? Um, a, a due application. But as we wrap up, the final part of 3 John says this. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. He starts with a care, a care for people, finishes with a care for people. The one writing this, mentioned earlier, is John, the son, one of the two sons, the brothers, son of thunder, son of thunder. Previously, he had seen someone else's arrival, and what does he ask Jesus? Jesus, can I call down fire and waste this guy? Let me take care of him. Kind of like Diotrephes. So we see a difference now in John as he deals with things, impacted by the years of ministry alongside Christ, the impact that it had on John, who writes to us this morning. So the challenge for us, if you're an unbeliever this morning, you probably hear, okay, there's truth and there's love. I get it. Those are both good. I need to tweak some things here. I need to change some things. I need to be more truthful and loving. I, I get that. Maybe some hospitality too. If you heard that, we need to back up and say no. No, 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 no. Not tweaking, not redirecting, radical change. Simply saying, I can't be truthful. I can't ever be loving. I need a Savior. I need Christ the only one who's perfect in truth and love, who loved me enough to die for me. I need Christ. Do not come out of here thinking I can just right the ship on my own. I failed if you hear that. Come to Christ. For the believer this morning, for those who are in Christ, we are hearing a challenge that we as a church are called out. We're supposed to be different. We can be different. We don't want the powerful to become the predictable. We want to be loving in truth. God shows us we can, we should. May we submit to that. 
May we truly seek to be truthful and loving that others see Christ in us as the source of that. Would you pray with me?